What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's trip to Zurich in the Europa League. But we're also going to be reacting to the big news of the day, and that is that Chelsea have parted company with boss Thomas Tuchel, or former boss. Now, it's a big, big story. It's a big, big piece of news. We're going to be reacting to it here, but we're also, of course, as I say, going to be looking ahead to that big Europa League group game for us tomorrow. I say big because we're kicking off our Europa League campaign. We were all moaning and complaining at the fact that we weren't in Europe last season. And while this isn't the most glamorous of games, it is... Uh, an opportunity for some of the fringe players to get out there, to have a run out, to show what they can do and potentially try and force their way into Mikel Arteta's thinking when it comes back to the Premier League. Let's say uh, a few hellos. There are plenty of you in the chat. Apologies, I'm just a few minutes late. I had some issues with my internet connection. Typical, always the way when you're about to go live, it wants to play up. But um, let's go over and say a few hellos. Uh, big hello to Alex, who says, famous last words, but Zurich are League One level at best at the moment. If it wasn't for Winterthur, they'd go down in the state they are. I really hope guys like Marquinhos get a start. I'm from Zurich, by the way. Big shout out to you, mate. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Wandering Minstrel says, greetings, Harry and loyal Gooners. I'm gutted regarding Thomas Tuchel. I wanted to see Tuchel versus Conte for the return bout. A uh, big thank you to Lynn, who says, Hi, Harry and the Guna family. Hope you're all OK. All good. Thank you. Hope you're well, too. Uh, what else have we got in the chat? We've got uh, Andrew, who joins us from Texas. He says, hello from Texas, Harry. Hope all is well. Thank you so much, mate. Hope you're good as well. Uh, John says, uh, hello from the universe. Uh, there was a good comment from Andrew, actually, that I, I, I can't just skip over what will be first harry starting the stream or chelsea signing a new manager <laughs> nice one uh nikomo uh, chad joins us from tulsa uh lots and lots of you in the chat we've got mafia boss manny we've got fort lauderdale guna craig um big hello to nav uh, arsenal match review says late as always yes i am what are you can do about it <laughs> ken says uh looking forward to the show and you'll notice there's a new addition to the scarf wall. A uh, big thank you uh, to Chris, who sent me the uh, Chicago Gooner scarf, which you can see uh, just there. Uh, so that's the latest addition to the scarf wall. Um, big hello to Henry. And uh, Mamang says, Harry, are you Indian? I'm not. Um, I do love Indian food, though. It's my second favorite cuisine after Greek, of course. Uh, but no, I'm not Indian. Uh, OK, look, let's get into it. Let's start off with the Thomas Tuchel stuff, right? Because that is big, big news. I was shocked by this. I was surprised by this. I, I think in hindsight, it's very easy now to look back at Thomas Tuchel's interview and press conference post the Dinamo Zagreb defeat and say, 
yeah, this was coming. You know, he knew it was coming. He had an inkling. He had a feeling. Fair play to my colleague over at 90 Min, Scott Saunders, because he did call it genuinely. Um, and he was right. He said at the time, literally after the interview was done, that that was an interview of a manager who knew or, or who was headed for the exit door, whether that would be his decision or the decision of the powers that be. But fair play to Scott because he called it and he was absolutely spot on because when we got into the studio this morning uh, to record uh, 90 Min's women's football show, bang, there it was. There was the tweet. There was the breaking news. Thomas Tuchel given the boot by Todd Bowley. Is his sacking deserved? It's a really difficult question, this, because there clearly was something wrong at Chelsea. There was clearly an issue that something wasn't clicking. But I mean, to sack somebody who's sixth in the league after six games, who's got 10 points, so he's only ultimately five points behind the Premier League leaders, Arsenal, who you'd expect will drop points, you know, along the way and, and probably won't be able to keep up sort of this rate that we're seeing at the moment for the duration of the season. So really the benchmark for a club that are challenging for the Premier League title, which Chelsea will tell you they should be doing, is to keep up with Manchester City, whom they're four points behind. That's all. They've lost two of their opening six, but they've won uh, three and they've drawn one. They've played Spurs. You know, they've, there's been a couple of games that they should have done a lot better. I mean, they lost at Southampton. That was really poor. And they got absolutely pummeled at Leeds, which will have played into the thinking. But I just think when you look back at last season, Chelsea were hit with sanctions at a really key and crucial time due to Roman Abramovich's involvement or alleged involvement, depending on what way you look at it, with the Russian government following uh, their invasion of the Ukraine. Thomas Tuchel. I thought did such a good job of keeping the ship as on course as possible of being at times the club's only real spokesperson. Nobody else from the club came out and spoke and ever shed any light on the situation or what it was like working under those constraints. But Thomas Tuchel did. And I thought at that time, despite all the noise around Chelsea, I thought he was a brilliant ambassador for the club. And I thought, that he came out of it with a hell of a lot of credit, perhaps more so from the wider footballing world than the Chelsea fan base. I've seen some Chelsea fans online sort of reacting with a bit of sadness to this news. I've seen others who have reacted to it with jubilation, who have been happy at the fact that Thomas Tuchel's been sat. There's certain high-profile Chelsea fans that have been, and he won't mind me saying this, my, my good friend Rory Jennings has been, you know, very big on this, you know, he's got to go. Thomas Tuchel's got to go. But to me, just the timing of it and everything just doesn't make sense. So A, he was a great ambassador for the club during what was a really difficult time. And he steered them through a really, you know, difficult period and, and came out, you know, with a lot of dignity intact, with a lot of credit. And I thought he gave a great account of himself. He also had to deal with the fact that all of that put them back in their timeline. You know, they couldn't get their business done. I don't know whose fault that was early in the window. So they were waiting towards the end. They were having to do deals on deadline day. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Dennis Zakaria, two of the ones that they got over the line right at the last minute. So he didn't have his full team. You know, he didn't have his side that he wanted. Wesley Fofana took an age to get over the line as well. Again, totally out of Thomas Tuchel's hands. 
would have been on the club. And so they've had a bit of a stuttering start to the season. Now, Dinamo Zagreb away from home is a difficult place to go. And if that was the trigger for Thomas Tuchel's sacking, that is incredibly harsh. Many of us asked the question when Todd Bowley came in, will he continue to show the ruthlessness that Roman Abramovich showed throughout the duration of his stay at the club. And look, to be fair to Roman Abramovich, from a purely footballing perspective, it worked because Chelsea, during his time there, were an incredibly successful football club. So who are we to say he was doing it wrong? Who are we to say that his approach was wider than Mark? Who are we to say, um, you know, that that his methods or, or his way of operating was wrong? It worked. Chelsea won a shit ton of trophies, the likes of which they'd never won before during Roman Abramovich's time there. So maybe the ruthlessness isn't as bad a thing as people make out. But this just, to me, it doesn't make any sense. He's got credit in the bank. He's won you a Champions League as well. I haven't even mentioned that yet. He's been to a, a good few domestic finals. OK, the results haven't always been what they wanted, but he's getting them into the positions where they can fight for the big trophies, fight for... Um, the competitions that Chelsea as a football club should be winning. And and all of a sudden, he has a bit of a bumpy ride at the start of the season and bang, trigger pulled, Thomas Tuchel gone, sacked, out on his ass. I just find it all a little bit harsh and, and more than anything, strange because they've just spent, what, a quarter of a billion pounds in this transfer window over the course of the last few months, trying to assemble this new team. You know, Koulibaly, Kukurea, Sterling, Aubameyang, Zakaria, you know, Fofana. They've spent a shit ton of money, um, you know, to, to assemble this team in what we thought was Thomas Tuchel's image, only to then give him the boot six games in. To me, it just doesn't make sense. Could you try and read between the lines here and suggest that maybe actually some of those signings were not Thomas Tuchel's. That Thomas Tuchel didn't agree with all of those signings. And that actually, that's where the disconnect occurred. That's where the relationship between he and the ownership, it seems, broke down. Maybe you could come to that conclusion. Because it seems awfully strange, as I say, to back a manager with, if you believe some reports, a quarter of a billion pounds in a summer. Only to then give him the chop just a few games in. It's really, really strange. I don't think he'll be out of work for long. I think he's a top, top coach. I really do. I think he's brilliant. Somebody's asking me, would you swap Tuchel for Arteta? I mean, I'm really happy with what Mikel Arteta is doing now. Um, you know, I'm really happy with the way things are going and he deserves to be able to continue on the journey, in my opinion. But there's no question about it. Thomas Tuchel is a, a much more accomplished manager at this stage in his career, a much more experienced manager. He's a Champions League winner. He's a title-winning manager. Mikel Arteta hasn't got to that point yet. So I know people are kind of trying to bait me into saying, no, I'd rather keep Mikel Arteta. I'd rather Mikel Arteta than Thomas Tuchel, or Thomas Tuchel isn't as good as Mikel Arteta. I'm not going to say any of that because that's not true. Thomas Tuchel has proven and earned the right to be regarded in a higher regard than Mikel Arteta. But that doesn't mean that right now I just want to press the abort button on the project that we have going on, which I'm really happy about and really enjoying watching develop. But yeah, it just all seemed a little bit strange for me. And I think the difficulties at Chelsea for Thomas Tuchel began ultimately with the with the sanctions. You know, that was a big, big problem. 
was a big problem uh, for Chelsea. And Thomas Tuchel dealt with that really, really well. And having come out the other side of it, I think they just needed to have a bit of patience with regards to kind of managing the the after effects of it. And, and obviously the patience isn't there. But they've turned their attentions, it seems, to Brighton's Graham Potter. He is the favourite. He is the man leading the race to get the Chelsea job. Brighton, from what we understand today, have given Graham Potter permission to speak with Chelsea over the managerial position. And I've seen a mixed reaction to this online as well. I've seen people say, if I were Graham Potter, I wouldn't go anywhere near that job. If I were Graham Potter, I wouldn't even consider taking on the Chelsea position because I would feel unstable and I could end up in a really shit position. If you're a good manager, you'll come out of it with your reputation intact, regardless of what happens, right? Graham Potter has got credit in the bank right now in the way that Frank Lampard didn't when he took that job. And Frank Lampard actually in his first season did an okay job. He got him into the Champions League with a young team dealing with the transfer ban. In the second season, he started to come unstuck, but he still got the Everton job. You know, even though it was supposed to be a disaster. Great managers have been sacked by Roman Abramovich at Chelsea down the years. Carlo Ancelotti. You know, Mourinho, Scolari. There have been so many. Antonio Conte, there have been loads. Their careers haven't taken a nosedive as a result of that. So I just think if Graham Potter has aspirations of going on to the highest level and this opportunity comes along, he, as a manager, has to back himself and take it. None of this, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What do you mean you're not sure about? You've got the opportunity to go and manage a Champions League club with incredible resources and a really strong squad of players. It's a huge upgrade on what he currently has at his disposal. And that's the way that Graham Potter is going to go on and have the career that many people feel he can. If he doesn't back himself, if he doesn't take that leap of faith, take that jump, take that risk, he'll be another Sean Dyche who... People talk about as probably could go on and do a bit of a bigger job, but never did it, never really pushed for it, never really tried to make it happen. And as a result, it was kind of fizzled away. That's not what Graham Potter's destined for bigger things in that, in my opinion. But he's got to take this opportunity. There shouldn't be any pushback from Graham Potter, in my opinion. Um, so I disagree with those that say, Nope, he shouldn't go anywhere near that job. If he wants to progress his career as a manager, he has to take that job. These opportunities don't come along every five minutes. And very few of the clubs right at the top of European football could be called stable in terms of the length of time they hold on to managers. Two, three years is the max nowadays, really. There's very few that last a lot longer. There's very few that embark on long-term projects because there is a need and a desire to succeed immediately. But anyway, uh, that's enough kind of Chelsea talk. Um, let's move on to Arsenal versus Zurich. The Gunners travel to Switzerland to take on FC Zurich in our first Europa League group game. And where I was quite keen um, on seeing kind of... Where, where I don't want to say keen. I was saying that I w was looking forward to these games because it would give me an opportunity to kind of look at some of our fringe players. And, and, and there were a number of players that I thought really kind of needed this type of game, really needed an opportunity to go out there, play 90 minutes, maybe against a, 
weak opponent, if you want to call them that, and kind of fill their boots a little bit and get themselves going, having been in and out of the side at the start of the season. In fact, having been out of the side and having been limited to substitute appearances. Emil Smith-Rowe was really one of those for me. But obviously, he's picked up an injury. Don't know if he's going to be available for the game. Cedric Suarez is another one uh, who we think is going to be unavailable for the game. We know that Thomas Partey is unavailable as well. Reese Nelson is unavailable. And it's really frustrating because a lot of those players, with the exception of Thomas Partey, would have been in that team and would have had that opportunity. And now, as a consequence of that, we're not able to give some of the starters the breather that we wanted and we're not able to give the minutes to those that we really wanted to see um, and those that we feel will be comfortable at this level and can use it as an opportunity to kind of play their way into form at the start of the season. So that's kind of killed a little bit of the buzz around this game for me because, you know, if we play a strong team, as some people are reporting, we go out there, we win, it's a comprehensive victory. What do we really learn about the team? What do we really learn about the group, nothing. I was looking forward to watching the game, studying certain players and coming away with learns and coming away with sort of conclusions based on those who have been on the fringes and on the peripheries up until now. So that's disappointing, I think. And it's given Mikel Arteta a bit of a headache because there's a couple of positions now due to the size of the squad where he can't really rest players without being short. You know, he, he has, without going too young, without going you know, completely down that route. And and you can't do that in Europe, right? You've got to find that balance. You've got to find that mix. Um, and we'll talk on, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the lineup now because, you know, I've been racking my brains over what, um, you know, over what Mikel Arteta could do here, how he could best approach this. What, what way can he kind of get around this? And which of the players that have been starting every week in the Premier League, can he kind of get away with, including in this one. So I'll just bring up uh, my little board and I'll show you guys uh, essentially what I would do now. So I think the goalkeeping position is easy. I think you stick Matt Turner in there. You give him a full Arsenal debut um, in the Europa League away at FC Zurich. Now, right back, I'd have played Cedric. What I would have done was play Cedric and then I would have actually gone with Tomiyasu and Holding as the two centre-backs. That's what I would have done. But with Cedric unavailable and me not wanting to pick Ben White at right back, that throws a spanner in the works too. So for me, it has to probably be Tomiyasu at right back. Now, at centre-back, I definitely chuck Rob Holding in there, but he has to be partnered with one of the regulars, Saliba or Gabriel. I just think that we'd be better off on... <sighs> I just think in this instance, we'd be better off playing Saliba. And the reason I say that is because Gabriel is our only left-footed centre-back. He's the only one that we have. And I think him being out would be more of a problem for us today than Saliba, just because of that sole reason. I'm not saying that Saliba's crap. I'm not saying that Saliba's not important. I still think Saliba's learning, still developing. I just feel like if Saliba was out, you could put hold, you could put Ben White alongside Gabriel, and we go back to what we had last season with Tommy Asu at right back, and that's pretty strong and something I'm relatively happy with. But if Gabriel was to pick up an injury, 
that changes things a little bit in the way we build up, in the way we like to play out from the back. The left-footed centre-back thing is quite important in, in the, the system that we play. So I'd rather take the risk with Saliba just on that basis. At left-back, I'd go with Kieran Tierney because he didn't uh, he didn't play uh, up at Old Trafford. He wasn't in the starting lineup, And partly because our options in midfield are limited. And so I might have to use Zinchenko that little bit further forward. Now, in an ideal world, I wouldn't want to play Sambi Lekonga right now either because he is literally our only central deep-lying midfield option. But we haven't got the players. We haven't got the numbers. And so the rest of my midfield would be made up of Mr. Uh, Teflon Granite Xhaka, who seems to have an incredible fitness record. I've probably just jinxed him, touch wood. Um, and I'd have to put Zinchenko in there. I know it's two left-footers. Maybe it's a little bit imbalanced. Would I consider Xhaka as the deeper one, Lokonga a little bit further forward to give us a little bit more balance in terms of right foot, left foot? Maybe, um, you know, people talk a lot about Xhaka and the fact that he can get exposed when playing in that deep line midfield position. But I don't think FC Zurich are a side capable of causing us that type of issue. I look at I look at the Swiss Super League at the moment. They're ninth out of 10 teams. Yeah, they've lost five of their seven games so far, picked up two draws along the way. They've conceded 16 goals. It's an average of more than two per game in the league. So I'm I'm not massively fearful of FC Zurich, and that's why I think you can get away with this. People asking where Vieira is. Vieira is in my team, don't worry. Uh, but Fabio Vieira, for me, will play from the left-hand side. You could put Zinchenko out there if you wanted and put uh, Vieira into the midfield if you feel that that would be better. And I've said this before, I do think that Vieira's long-term future is in one of those deeper-lying midfield positions. Um, but, you know, I just look at it at the moment. Like In terms of wingers, what do we have? I don't want to play Saka. don't want to play Martinelli. Nelson is out. Marquinhos is the only other option with Emil Smith-Rowe out as well. And Marquinhos is going to play for me from the right with, of course, Nketiah up front. That would be my lineup. And people will question that. There's, uh, where was it, a comment from Sko, who says, um, no way, can't have Zinchenko and Tierney playing and not getting rest before the next EPL game. And if one gets injured, then the other has to play two games in four days. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I really don't. But what's the alternative? Like, genuinely, I'm interested to know what's what's the alternative. What, who would you put into this team that I haven't put in? And where would you put them? You know, there's been suggestions that Sosa, the young left back, is traveling uh, with the team that he is going out there as well. Will he start the game? I highly, highly doubt it. But you just look at this and the options are incredibly limited at the moment because we're without Emil Smith-Rowe, Mohamed Elneny, Thomas Partey as well, which means Lekonga probably has to be included. Reese Nelson, Cedric Suarez. These are players who would have been nailed on starters in this team, along with the Holdings, the Turners, the Marquinhos, the Vieiras. And also, as as Ayo James points out, is a really good point. Remember, it's five subs, and so not everybody plays 90 minutes. Yeah, agree. Or if you're Mikel Arteta, do you go even stronger? Do you go with Mar a Martinelli or Saka? Do you put one of them in the team? 
Do you put Martin Odegaard in the team? Do you try and go out there and get the game won as early as possible and then make those changes? But there's always that risk that you don't then manage that. And if you have them on the bench to bring them on, you can potentially call on them if you need them. But hey, if you're good enough to beat Zurich without them, then happy days, they don't have to play at all. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what the solution is here. My mindset going into this Europa League has very much been that this gives us an opportunity in a group that we should very much qualify through to rotate, to give players that have been on the peripheries and on the fringes so far this season an opportunity to build up their fitness and stake a claim for a position in the starting lineup. Um, and unfortunately, the number of injuries that we've got and the fact that the squad is still not very big in terms of numbers means that we're not going to be able to make those changes in the way I'd have liked. And some of those players who in an ideal world would be sitting with their feet up back in London or at least on the bench in Zurich can't be doing that now. Uh, Gustavo says, uh, I would go with Lino Sosa at left-back, Saliba and Tommy Asu at centre-back with Cedric at right-back. According to a lot of reports, Cedric Suarez is out, so that's not an option, which is why Tommy Asu needs to play at right-back and why you need to then probably bring one of the centre-halves in. So it's, it's tough. It's tough. And also, you know, you, you don't want to lose ground in a group because, as is, again, is pointed out in the chat, if you don't win the group, you have to play the round of 32. If you win the group, you don't have to. You literally. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Progress to the round of 16. And so that's another, that's two games less that you have to play. So, yeah. Uh, Just AJ says, play Martinelli or Saka and put Vieira on the right side of the eight. Rest Zinchenko. Maybe that's what he'll do. But I'm really, really fearful of of one of Martinelli and Saka picking up an injury, especially with Emil Smith-Rowe out, because we don't have enough cover. We just don't. So just to reiterate, for those of you listening on audio that can't see the graphic on the screen right now, the team I would pick based on all of those factors that we've discussed for the game uh, in St. Gallen, by the way, against FC Zurich is Turner in goal, a back four of Tommy Asu holding Saliba and Tierney, Lukonga, Xhaka and Zinchenko would be my midfield three, with Vieira and Marquinhos playing on either flank and Eddie and Ketia through the middle. So, yeah. OK, that's my team. I know a lot of people don't like it, but look, I've talked about the importance of this competition already. Lots of times this season, I've talked about how much we need to, you know, or how far we should be looking to go. The fact that it offers a route back into the Champions League and the fact that it offers Arsenal an opportunity to win a European trophy, something that we haven't done in an awful, awful long time. Um. So, yeah, you know, let's... Let's make sure we make the most of it. Let's let's make sure that we don't put ourselves on the back foot in the first game. Look, FC Zurich are a poor side. There's no getting away from that. But it's still an away trip in Europe and you still have to 
pay this fixture and any other fixture that comes up in the group, whether it's Bodo Glimt or whoever, you have to pay these teams the respect because you can get caught cold in these competitions, particularly away from home. And I don't want to be on the back foot to a PSV Eindhoven side who I expect will probably win every other game apart from maybe the games they play against us. I don't fancy going to the Phillips Stadion with a weekend side. I don't think that's going to be an easy trip at all. And you're just playing catch up. You'd be on the back foot if you drop points here. Yes, the team should be uh, should be good enough, even with the changes, even with the players missing. There is a part of me that thinks, bloody hell, just maybe play the first team as best as possible. Go out there, wipe the floor with them early doors, get people off, get people rested. Or at least pick five of the starters. Or I, I don't know, but... We're probably going to have to do that regardless because of the injury problems. I mean, Saliba, Tierney, Zinchenko, Xhaka, as four starters as it is. Tommy Asu, you could argue, might be a starter in the future as well. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's a frustrating one, isn't it? Really, really frustrating. Also, just to let you guys know, um, we're going to be bringing you the show, the post-match show for this one, straight after the game straight after the game and hoping, fingers crossed, if I can get back early enough to set it up from work uh, to do a watch along as well. But I will confirm that in the morning. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on that game. I think we'll win. I think we'll win comfortably. Um, my worry is about the knock-on effect of this game because on Sunday we play an Everton side who will come and will be stubborn, who will come and who will be physical and will try and make it difficult for us. But we need to get back to winning ways and we need to get back to winning ways quickly. I keep kept saying it last season. I'll say it again this season. We can't afford when we pick up a defeat to let it rumble on. We can't afford to let those dips turn into rots because the minute they do, you fall behind. And those advantages that we've built up in the early stage of the season can very, very quickly disappear. And I don't want that. I want us to keep up the pace, keep up the momentum, keep going, keep pushing, keep working hard. You know, what happens at the World Cup is out of our control. And when we return from the World Cup, you're hoping that everybody's fit. You're hoping that everybody's OK. And you're hoping that we can just pick up where we left off. But as long as we do our job up until that point, I think then we can go into the World Cup and we can kind of try and switch off for a month or so and um, and focus solely on that, you know, and and enjoy it and and, and then know that when we return, we're in a good position to push on and hopefully achieve our objectives between then and the end of the season. Just a couple of other bits I wanted to highlight um, on uh, on this show. Uh, so let me start off uh, with uh, some comments from Bern Leno. Uh, he spoke to Sport Build and he was talking about his departure from Arsenal. And he said, when I realised that it wasn't about performance or quality, I knew that I had to go. In preparation, I saw that it is not about performance, but only about politics. It was clear to me I had to get out of here. So we don't know what went on behind the scenes, OK? We know that Mikel Arteta wanted a goalkeeper who would bring certain qualities to his team, who would bring him the ability to set up a team that could play out from the back far more comfortably than we had done in the past. We saw under Unai Emery that Bernd Leno couldn't do that. We saw under Mikel Arteta that Bernd Leno couldn't do that. But I don't think anybody ever questioned Bernd Leno's quality as a shot stopper. I think at times 
I didn't think he was dominant enough as a goalkeeper in terms of the way he came out to catch things. I, d I didn't think he was very good at taking the pressure off of his centre-halves at times. And I thought sometimes his play was a little bit lackadaisical in the sense of he wasn't dominating, he wasn't commanding, he wasn't proactive, he was more reactive in those set-piece situations. And I think that that impacted us. I'm not having it that Aaron Ramsdale hasn't brought something more to the team. Has he got a mistake in him? Absolutely he has. But he takes the pressure off of his defence much more and he's a hundred times more comfortable with the ball at his feet. His passing range is much improved. His passing range is, is, is on a totally different level to that that Bern Leno could offer. And that has helped us as a team. And so if Bern Leno wants to pretend that the reason he's been ousted is because of politics and that it's nothing to do with his performance, that's up to him. I don't expect him to be happy. He was the number one at the football club. A younger model was coming and essentially taken over his role. And then Matt Turner's come in too, and he probably feels like, shit, I'm not a part of this. I'm moving forward. But Matt Turner was signed knowing that Bern Leno was going to go. At the end of the day, Bern Leno, his performances were on and off for Arsenal throughout his time. At times, he was great, amazing arguably our best player through certain periods. But at times his distribution was shit. He'd put us under pressure and he'd make mistakes. He'd flap at things. He'd parry the ball into dangerous areas. And on top of all of that, his distribution was crap. And that just wasn't going to fit or work with the game model. So if he plays okay in training, it doesn't mean that the manager is going to go, well, you know, you were the better one in training. So I'm going to abandon my philosophy, abandon my game model and the way I play to put you in. Of course, training has a bearing on who should play and who shouldn't. But it isn't, you know, the be-all and end-all. If Mikel Arteta feels he can trust Aaron Ramsdale on a match day, then that's ultimately what takes precedent, right? So I did find these comments a little bit strange. And, and ultimately, I think where Bern Leno's argument falls and maybe where he looks a little bit silly is where he says, when I realised that it wasn't about performance or quality, I knew that I had to go. I knew it was only about politics. Your performances weren't there, though, a lot of the time. And, and on top of that, you've signed for Fulham, a side that many people expect to find themselves at one point or another in the relegation scrap. Now, that's no disrespect to Fulham, but if you were brilliant, you'd have been somewhere else. You'd have gone somewhere much more high profile, and you're only really worth what someone is willing to pay for you. And in Berlino's case, it wasn't very much. So I'm not digging out Bern Leno. I'm not slagging him off. He's a fantastic goalkeeper, but just wasn't what we needed to fit our game model. Just like Joe Hart wasn't a bad goalkeeper, didn't become a bad goalkeeper overnight. But Pep Guardiola needed someone who could play with the ball at his feet. And whatever you say about Bern Leno, however much praise you want to heap on his Arsenal performances, of which there were some very, very good ones, he was not very good in his distribution, and he was incredibly uncomfortable with the ball at his feet. That's key to this Arsenal side and the way they play. So I found those comments a little bit strange. I found them to be a little bit bitter, maybe. I don't know if you want to call it that. Anyway, it's kind of water under the bridge, but I just wanted to highlight that because a few people had asked me about it uh, today. Also, um, some positive news, uh, which a lot of people um, are saying, is that Thomas Partey, um, could return to training this week. Wow. 
Um, that would be a boost, wouldn't it? But at the same time, you still don't want to rush him. You know, you want to wrap him up with cotton wool. You, you'd hope that Everton is a game that we could kind of get away with keeping Lukonga in the midfield and, and maybe save him. You know, we've got some big, big games coming up in the not too distant future. And I'd rather have Thomas Partey fit, firing and available for them. Uh, so hopefully, you know, if he, even if he does return to training this week, the club are responsible in the way that they deal with him, manage him in the right way. They know that he's got a record of injuries and so they've got to be careful is the bottom line. But very positive to hear that he's expected to be back in training in the not too distant future, given that we thought we could be without him for a really long time. And, and that has a really negative impact on this side, doesn't it? I just think when he plays, we've got another dimension in midfield. I thought Lukonga was good at Old Trafford, barring a couple of silly moments. I thought he was very good against Aston Villa. But there's just another dynamic that Partey brings to the side, you know. And, and when Elneny played um, in the game prior to Villa, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Was it uh, Fulham? Was it Fulham? Yeah, I think it was Fulham. We just struggled to build up through him a little bit. And so, yeah. Hopefully Thomas Partey's back sooner rather than later, but good to hear he is back in training. Right, I'm going to take some of your questions for the last sort of uh, eight, nine minutes of the stream. Uh, let's go over to the chats and start filling it up. Uh, big thank you to uh, Fort Lauderdale Guna Craig, who says, too cool to RB Leipzig. You heard it here first, Harry. I thought that they were going to go after Marco Rosa. I did tweet that this morning in response to someone else's tweet about it. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't kept across that story throughout the duration of the day. Interesting. I, I think Thomas Tuchel can do better than RB Leipzig. Like, I really do. I, I still think his stock is incredibly high. The rest of the world looking on at the job that he did during the, the sanctions, during all of that difficulty that he faced at Chelsea, I think sort of really began to respect him and, and sort of felt that, you know, he was he was deserving of a lot of praise and of a lot of credit. And um, and I think, as I say, I think his reputation outside of Chelsea, even among a lot of Chelsea fans and commentators and reporters, etc., is still really high. And so I, I don't envisage him having to drop too far down in terms of status to, to pick up his next job. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, Kenny says, uh, in response to the Leno stuff, if it was you, wouldn't you be bitter? I'd be bitter too. This is my job. I would be bitter, maybe. Maybe I'd feel that way. I don't know that I'd feel the need to come out and speak about it like that, though. I, I, I don't really get why players do that. Like, what does it achieve? Are you trying to save face? Are you trying to save your reputation? Well, it's already in the bin because you've signed for Fulham. Sorry, but that's the reality of it. You've already gone from Arsenal to Fulham. Like, what you say now isn't going to make a difference. And if you try and justify that move by claiming that the politics prevented you from getting what you wanted. I don't think too many people are going to buy that, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, maybe I'd feel that way, but I'm very much someone who likes to look at my own problems first. So like if I fail at something, and I've failed at loads of things, I always want to think about why I failed first. There will be instances where I will feel that part of the blame is on somebody else or something else. But I always want to look at myself first. And the reality is that Bern Leno could not play the ball out with his feet. And that is why Mikel Arteta didn't want him. It's as simple as that. Um, let's see what else we've got in the chat. Uh, where is it? I saw um, 
a message that I wanted to read out. Bear with me just a second. Uh, big shout out to Afsar, who says, Mr. Harry Simi, it was so good to meet you on Green Street. And the wife says hello to you. Hello to you as well, man. Um, bummed into Mr. Afsar uh, as I was walking back from the train station, like what, an hour ago, hour and a half ago. Uh, good to see you. Good to meet you in person, man. And apologies when I was a bit like, who, who's this? It, it, it's just because I don't see your face. Like, I can see your face in that little uh, picture that you have, but it's really difficult to recognize people off the back of that. But I'm so glad that you said hello and um, really appreciate it, man. And good to see you're a neighbor. Uh, all the best, mate, to you and your family. Okay. Um, Ishe says, Harry, what's happening with these injuries at our club with people who aren't even playing? It was ESR and now it's Cedric. To be fair to Cedric, it's not really a regular occurrence with him. Like it does happen from time to time, but I'm not really reading into that one an awful lot. The Emil Smith Rowe one though is another worry in it because I genuinely think that Mikel Arteta rates this guy up here, right? They signed him on a contract. They gave him the number 10 shirt. There are high, high hopes for Emil Smith Rowe, but you have to believe and you have to think that even internally right now, especially internally, there are massive, massive concerns about his fitness because, you know, he just, he, he, whatever happens, whatever the circumstance, he just seems to pick up injuries all too frequently. He's picked one up in the warm down. Old Trafford, now you could say it's bad luck and these things happen and et cetera, et cetera, but it happens too often with him. It really, really does. And, and so as a manager, you come to a point where you lose patience with players like that. And you start to realise and recognise and accept probably that you can't rely on them. And that's the that's the thing, you know, Mikel Arteta has got a job to do. He's got a team to look after. He's got to make sure that his team are prepared. He's got to make sure that he can trust in people, that he's got the, the players at a point in terms of their conditioning where they can go out there and they can give him exactly what he demands, which is a lot physically. That's what, Mikel Arteta has to think about. And unfortunately, as talented as Emil Smith-Rowe is, this is a problem, a big bloody problem. And with him, it's a regular problem. And it's really, really frustrating. Really frustrating. Uh, what else have we got in the chat? Let's scroll back down and catch up. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Um, Chris Chan, just on the... Uh, Partey thing says Partey puts everyone's minds at ease to go forward. Yeah, it just gives us that a little bit more security, doesn't he? Have you noticed that Granite Shack has been a little bit less, um, what's the word, adventurous in his play as well since Thomas Partey's been out of the side? And understandably so. Uh, Delisu says Partey is essentially two players as one. Uh, Uyi says uh, we missed Partey so much. Glad he's back. Got to unleash everything on Everton come Sunday. I still think the Everton game comes too soon. I really, really do uh, for Thomas Partey. Even if he's fit enough to train, I'm not throwing him in at Everton, me personally. Uh, Kartik says, uh, what would Oba be thinking right now, Harry? Given Tuchel was the sole reason he signed for Chelsea, he put his reputation with the Arsenal fans on the line for this. It's a great point. That reunion went well, didn't it? Within days of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang arriving, at Chelsea Football Club to be reunited with Thomas Tuchel, a coach he's worked with successfully in the past. Thomas Tuchel gets the bullet and that's that. Uh, what else have we got? Let's pick up a few more. Uh, 
Um, M says, uh, do you think we can win our next four games? Everton, Brentford, North London Derby and Liverpool. Three out of four at home. You've got to believe that we can. You know, if we if we were to draw in one of the North London Derby or against Liverpool, I think that that would be OK and, and respectable still. But um, but I expect us to beat Everton and I certainly expect us to beat Brentford. Listen, Brentford is away from home. Ain't going to be easy. I was at Brentford on Saturday covering the game for BBC London Sport. They were brilliant. They were fantastic. The atmosphere was good. It was a tough, tough place to go for Leeds United, but we're the Arsenal and we want to be in the Champions League next season. So we have to go there and do a job. The North London derby at home, why can't we win it? We normally do, especially at home. Liverpool, they're not in a great way at the moment. Things might turn, you know, four games time, four games down the line, four games down the road. It's a long time in football and things can change. But you feel now that we've got a real chance to get in and amongst them, to shake them up in front of that Emirates crowd and get a result there. Why not? Why not? I don't expect us to win all four. I think that's that would be amazing if we did. Um, but, you know, you've got to be realistic about where this team are as well. Like, don't get too high and don't get too low. The The team, in terms of its quality and its level, in comparison to the points return, it will balance out a little bit. And right now it's a little bit top-heavy in that we've got probably more points than this team is in terms of the average of points that we've picked up over the first six games, we're probably above where we should be. So that it's inevitably going to even out a little bit and and don't let that sort of get you down too much, I would say. Uh, Paul James with a really good question. And if I could answer this one, um, then maybe Arsenal should uh, should give me a, uh, a call. What can we do to increase our goals to chances ratio? We're playing some brilliant football, but it's not reflected in goals. Um, yeah, look, uh, this is a really, really tough one because if you get into the positions, I think the manager has done his job in that he's created a setup, a game model that gets you in the positions that you need to be in to make the difference in matches. And ultimately, the players that get in those positions have to be ruthless, have to be cl- clinical. That's Gabriel Jesus. It's Gabby Martinelli. It's Bukayo Saka. It's Martin Odegaard. I don't look at any one of those players and think you. It's all on you. I look at it as a collective. And I feel like Mikel Arteta's style of play demands a collective contribution in terms of goals. There isn't a 30-goal-a-season centre-forward there. Gabriel Jesus is superb, but he's not that. Never has been, never will be. He wasn't brought into the team to be that. And it sounds a little bit stupid because if he can deliver that, great happy days. Who doesn't want their centre-forward to score? But the point I'm making is that he was brought in because of other reasons too. His build-up play, his work rate, his tenacity. And he brings other things to the team that create chances for others as well, as we've seen already this season. So we just have to be more ruthless and more clinical. And I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know if it's a bit of a mental block that some of our players are having to deal with and experience, or if it's just rotten luck at the moment. You know, Martin Odegaard had a guilt-edged opportunity at Old Trafford that he had to score the other day and he didn't. And and those are the types of things that frustrate. So, yeah, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But to answer that question is is the million dollar question, right? What, how do we convert? Just have to be more ruthless in our finishing. I don't know if it comes down to mentality, skill, technique, whatever it is, but it feels like we need to make a lot more chances than the very big teams, the very best teams, to be able to get over the line in, in those games in particular 
against the likes of Manchester United, and that's frustrating. Certainly something we've got to improve on. But the way you know we have improved is that now we're talking about goals to chances. In the past, we were talking about a lack of chances under Mikel Arteta and a lack of creativity and a lack of freedom and a lack of an ability to get into those areas. Now we're getting into the areas, which is progress, but now you've got to finish it off and, and we're not quite doing that with the regularity that we'd hoped for. Russ Morgan says, if Partey has another injury-ridden season, do you see us getting rid of him in the summer? I think you have to consider it, Russ. You have to start to look at alternatives if he's going to continue to be sidelined because it's a big fucking problem for us. Sorry, excuse my language. But it drives me insane because there's, there's certain players that pick up long-term injuries, like Moel Nenny right now. Look, I'm not saying he's a world-beater, but nobody could have envisaged Moel Nenny picking up an injury problem that would keep him out for months and leave us in shit street. But everybody could have told you that Thomas Partey was going to pick up a muscle injury that would keep him out for a period of time. And that's why it's so frustrating because when you can see it coming, but you don't have the right cover in place, then you got to question why we didn't go and get a midfielder. That's what frustrated me about the back end of the transfer window. But hey, we've been over that before and I guess it's kind of a story for another day. Uh, Final question. A couple of you have asked this one, so I'll, I'll answer it. What game am I watching tonight in the Champions League? During the group stages, I'm very much a BT Sport goals show kind of guy, um, particularly on a night when there isn't really a standout game for me. I don't want to watch Spurs. Um, they'll probably win. They're at home against the Marseille side full of Arsenal rejects. I'm just, yeah, it doesn't really massively appeal to me. Um, Napoli Liverpool interests me, actually. So I might lean towards that one, but I think I probably will just watch the goals show tonight. I think it's great. Keeps you across everything. BT Sport had all sorts of problems yesterday with a picture. If you were a Virgin Media user, I don't know if anybody else experienced that. Hoping that's not an issue tonight because it really spoiled my experience last night. But anyway, um, okay. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you all so, so much, as always, for your continued support of the podcast. Love to every single one of you. Please do subscribe. Please do leave a like on the video. In fact, let's check in where we're at on the likes. Only 93, but there's over 300 of you watching. Let's try and get it uh, up to 150. And we're about 25, 30 subscribers away from 24,000. So if you're new to the channel, please do subscribe as well. Been speaking to you guys about memberships recently that we're switching over to another platform. That is all done, signed, sealed, delivered. And we're going to be making that move next week. I'll bring you a video uh, specifically on that for those that are interested, which will explain in detail to you how you can go about doing that and supporting the podcast and what comes with it, how it all works, etc., etc. Thank you for your patience on that. Thank you for tuning in to the show. Uh, go and enjoy the Champions League football, and hopefully we'll be there next season. I'll catch you all very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.